live. Oh, live now? Are we? Oops. I don't know. You tell me. Um, let me check. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, we are. Are we okay. here? What's that feedback? Uh, it was YouTube, but I closed it. It was just because I okay. had the YouTube window open. Okay, I'm gonna uh, open up my YouTube so we can see what people are talking about. So let's talk about the fucking apocalypse. Okay, no, first of all, yeah, where where are you? How are you? Uh, are you surviving? Uh, um, yeah, totally surviving. Um, we're in Vietnam, which obviously we're not meant to be. Um, where are you meant to be? Uh, they sort of like said Australians and my partner's New Zealand. They're like, you have to, you have to come back. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm not going back. So then we you can't tell me what to do. You're yeah. like doing the millennial thing that I was just. Yeah, concerned. I'm being a fucking brat, basically. No, mom. <laughs> um, and my partner's like, no, it'll be fine. We'll go to New Zealand. And then they announce like they're closing the borders now. And if you're not a citizen, you can't get back in. That's it. So I'm obviously not a New Zealand citizen. It's not usually necessary for Australians to get a visa or citizenship because we just have reciprocal, like, open borders with New Zealand. Um, But in this case, it wasn't clear. It was just, like, if you're not a citizen or a PR, you can't get in, period. So there was, like, a day where we thought, like, we were both locked out of each other's countries. And then a day later they were like, oh, spouses can come too. It's like, thank you for ruining my life for a day. But so now we're going to New Zealand on Saturday um, and like we'll go into quarantine for two weeks. But the thing is, Vietnam has been almost, you know, like Vietnamese people to their credit um, since Chinese New Year have kind of shut down the country themselves, like before the government did it. Um And it's kind of a cultural thing, like people go back to their village usually for Chinese New Year for like a week. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Corona broke out and the families, like I've got local Vietnamese friends and they're like, our parents aren't letting us leave the village because they're scared of the virus. So they've kind of had no school and very little uh, business and stuff since Chinese New Year. Um, so that's, that's why there's been almost no cases with the exception of a couple of tourists. I um, wish we'd done that in Vancouver. Highly contained. I mean, this is a totally different cultural context, right? Like there's a lot more risk aversion. Obviously a lot of the older generations have seen shit that maybe younger people haven't seen in their lifetimes. Um, and, you know, you really have to respect your elders here. So if they tell you, you're staying in the village, then you're fucking staying in the village. Like you don't get to argue. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like in Vancouver, I mean, Vancouver is such a small city and it's not so densely populated Mm -hmm. as other big cities. So, um, things are slightly less risky here, but at the same time, I mean, we didn't we didn't shut anything down or really lock anything down until Monday. Yeah. And even on Monday, um, you know, a lot of bars and restaurants were still trying to stay open until um mm-hmm. the city directed 
them all to close. Um, And like, I don't know, like, I feel like, like, I've just been inside this whole time alone, except for like, you were sick as well, right? So yeah, well, I was, I mean, but I feel fine now. I just was like, you know, as soon as, you know, I realized how serious this was, which admittedly, like, took me a while. Um, I was like, okay, that's it. Like, social distancing in effect. I mean, and luckily, like, I work inside my house. And I'm also used to it. Like, I wasn't super stressed about the idea of having to stay home for a while. I was like, I don't, whatever. Like, I probably should socialize less. It's <laughs> going to be very interesting what this does to, like, uh, digital working and remote working. And, like, I really hope that a lot of companies will now start to embrace remote working and digital working because, like, in a lot of cases, people are commuting to jobs for absolutely no fucking reason other than the fact that their bosses want to keep a big fancy office and look like they've got hundreds of employees and there's no need to be, you know, in IT industries in particular and stuff like that. Like they're, they can be done totally online. I know there's so many offices that I don't get why they're making people come into the office. It's like, fine, keep an office for meetings. Like if people have to come in for meetings, then do that. But like, you don't like this whole idea of nine to five, Monday to Friday, is fucking ridiculous and unnecessary like you do not need to work like that it's not better for productivity like i've i've worked in tons of offices and i was never productive because you're sitting at a desk staring at a computer like you start to go blind like you shouldn't be staring at a computer for that long anyway but you get so tired and like you're drifting off and like i function i mean admittedly my schedule is totally fucking weird my work schedule is all over the place like I just work kind of on all the time but I also like I get up and I work for a few hours and then I like take my dog for a walk and I have something to eat and then I like exercise and then I go back to work you know what I mean and it's like it's just sitting and staring for eight hours it's just like it's such an old school idea I read something from a manager once who had shut down her offices and she admitted that, you know, within her social circle, she worked, actually, she wasn't just a manager. She was like the CEO of a company and um, they went completely remote and she admitted this is a huge ego thing. Because within my social circle, you know, I I associate with a lot of other executives, CEO level people, um, and we want to have big offices because it's a part of, it's a part of what it means to operate within these kind of circles, you know, Mm -hmm. like how many people do you have? Where's your office building? Um, so oh, okay. there's status attached to having a bigger office, to having more employees. And so she's like, it was a lot of undoing of my ego to go, hey, I can actually have a really highly productive, really effective business if I let go of that, go remote, go online. And there's no need for it, except that I'm clinging to it because it's that thing of let, like, oh, you need to have an office to look good. You know, you need to have yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I suspect that some people think that it's like, or some managers think that it would be like, they need to monitor their employees because otherwise they're going to fuck off. 
Yes. But I mean, that doesn't, I mean, that's also kind of stupid because then it's about monitoring hours rather than productivity. Like really what you should be wanting is that somebody is meeting their deadlines or producing on time or getting what they need to get done done. It shouldn't really have anything to do with like, you got to be sitting at your desk for eight hours, even if you're doing literally nothing. (laughs) I know. I know. There's people in the comments talking about, um, Forgive us for having terrible jobs. I work as a grocer. That's a a really big question that's come up now is like what happens to, as per usual with any financial crisis, um, it's going to be the most vulnerable people who are most impacted. And obviously this is going to open up a whole big question around how does the economy deal with this economically, legally, ethically. Um, But people who are already you know, vulnerable workers in like the fact that they're in the gig economy, like Uber. And if you don't work, you don't get paid. You don't have sick leave. Well, anyone who's working as like a server, like I feel awful for, there's so many people that work in the service industry who are working at restaurants and bars who are just all of a sudden out of work and have like little recourse. And potentially be at huge risk. Um, well, yeah, if you work in a grocery store, like someone in the in the comments just said, and I actually just read an article about the employees at Whole Foods who are like super stressed out because they're working way overtime because grocery yes. stores are so crazy because people are acting so psycho about their food and groceries yeah. and toilet paper, which I don't understand. Like, it's oh, like, man. there's enough for everybody, you guys, all this food hoarding. I mean, uh, it's very strange to me that there's so much of a scarcity mindset around food in countries where there's so much fucking abundance, you know, like there is a scarcity issue. For example, I'm in Vietnam. There is a scarcity issue for really vulnerable people. Um, One of my friends here runs a charity and they're like, you know, schools and stuff are closing and that's where a lot of the most vulnerable kids get fed. So there really is truly a, a, a food scarcity issue. Um, but, but like middle-class consumers in the United States are worried about food scarcity? Why? Where's that coming from? Amar God thinks that we listen, we sound like vapid housewives. Nice. <laughs> is this what housewives are talking about, food scarcity? Um. yeah I'll take that I don't care (laughs) so what is it so what have you been doing in Vietnam like I guess so everything's everything's closed what are you guys doing interestingly because Vietnam really uh, like isolated themselves already for months the local economy here is kind of kicking back in I mean this is a communist country so you know import and export is already highly regulated Um, I've noticed a lot of businesses that do import and export are really suffering. Um, I've heard people saying, like, we're going bankrupt, we're shutting down, like, that's it. Tourism is obviously fucked. Like, the tourist areas completely closed down because, of course, they're being careful. They don't want tourists here right now, period. Um, But in the local areas, everyone was just, like, buzzing along. (laughs) I went out yesterday to do a couple of things before we leave. It's, like, business as usual. Everything's back to normal. Um, But that's kind of because they uh, protected themselves in the early stages. 
and really they didn't want tourists here and uh, there's a whole conversation to be had around racism towards Chinese but really like there were quite a lot of businesses being like we're not serving Chinese people like period and you can make whatever judgments you want about that but they've protected their economy I mean this is a country that's really seen some serious shit in the not so distant uh, past so I feel like that's kind of been a safeguard in a sense of protecting themselves early um, a lot of tourism has been been hit really hard. Charities are going to be hit because they rely on donations, of course. Um, you know, like expo- exploitation is going to rise as it always does around disasters. Um, I'm hearing that, like, you know, sex trafficking networks are already looking for more victims. Um, but are John's, I mean, so I was reading some things online that were saying, like, Sex workers, I don't use the term sex workers, but sex workers are going to like suffer because now Johns aren't going to come see them because they're scared of getting coronavirus, which Mm -hmm. is sort of weird because you'd think that if these men were scared of STDs, they wouldn't be Mm. seeing prostitutes behind their wives' back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. So I sort of think that that industry, I sort of suspected that that industry might, or some of those people would have to turn to like, cam girl work or something like that Mm, yeah I can see how that would happen um in terms of what it means on the ground I think that it's going to be like with a natural disaster or like with the global financial crisis um it's ripe pickings for exploiters to find vulnerable people who've been pushed out of already low-paying jobs into a position where they have no choice and any job sounds like a good job when you have no choice. Right. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that now people are going to be so desperate. Like I'm, I'm so worried to see what's going to happen to all these people who've lost their jobs, all these businesses, like businesses have closed already in Vancouver just because they're like, we can't afford to shut down for two weeks, never mind like a couple months, which is what it's sounding like for a lot of industries and businesses that it is going to be a couple months before they can get going again. Um, And I just like a six month border close, which, you know, effectively means that the aviation industry is closed for six months internationally across the board, like a blanket, a blanket close. Right. Um, I mean, I'm just like, I'm so pissed off at everybody right now. Like this whole coronavirus <laughs> thing has made me hate everybody. People are being fucking, first of all, people are not taking it seriously at all. Yes. Like I, there's either not taking it seriously or panic buying everything in the supermarkets and leaving yeah. people who are like elderly or disabled to not be able to even buy fucking tissues or like I saw like eggs or you know like basic goods all the meat's gone I mean it's like there's produce at the grocery stores around here and like I said like I think things are probably less psycho in Vancouver than in other cities because Mm -hmm. Vancouver is still sort of a small city so um but I you know I was at the grocery store on I don't remember a few days ago and um you know, there's lots of produce, 
but there's there's no meat there's no soup like there's no like canned goods there's obviously really? no toilet paper yeah people are being like people are being ridiculous and totally selfish like the grocery stores aren't shutting down you can go to the grocery store um and yeah but and, and beyond that like I went out to take Emma for a walk today and the the neighborhood that I live in and where I walk Emma is very quiet like it's it's I, I live near busy street. So if I walk mm-hmm. to the busy street, it's busier, but I don't walk mm-hmm. her that way. And especially right now, I'm not going to go to the busy street. I'm going to go mm-hmm. to the quiet streets in the residential area so that I can stay away from people. And mm-hmm. it, there is so many people out. I have never seen this many people out ever really? on any walk that I've done with Emma. And they all look like fucking tourists. Like they all think it's cute. Like they all look like they're on vacation. Like, I'm out on a Thursday with my badminton rackets and leggings. Like there was people sitting out on their front lawns, like drinking beers with their neighbors. There's like people at the park. And I mean, in, in, in people's defense, like when I was walking down the sidewalk, everybody was giving each other tons of room. Like people would, we would all just cross the street when somebody would approach or you'd go to the, the far, far end of the sidewalk so that you had like a couple meters between you or whatever. So that was respectful, but I was like, nobody, like there was girls like sitting in the park together, hanging out. There was a couple dudes, like they'd, I guess they'd gone for a bike ride together. They're sitting on the bench, like smoking weed together. I was like, you guys, this isn't a fucking vacation. Like you're being awful. Like this is really, really serious. Like, I don't know what they think. And meanwhile, all these people I'm seeing online complaining about social distancing and how hard it is and how can they handle it. And, Oh God, I've worked at home for two days and I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, Lord, you're all such fucking babies. You're so useless. Like, so you have to work at home. And I'm not talking about people who've lost their jobs and lost their income. Cause that is legitimately extremely stressful. Yeah, I also yeah, think yeah. it would be stressful to be home with your kids while your kids are going crazy you know they have nothing to do and nobody to hang out with and blah 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 but this like I mean first of all clearly a ton of them are lying because apparently it looks like everybody's like out it's sunny in Vancouver so everyone's out at the park and like wandering around and off work and they just kind of seem to think that it's like fun and funny and they're all like I don't know like it's totally weird like I haven't seen a soul for days because I feel like I'm like we could either get rid of this in a decent mm-hmm. amount of time and try to get back to something that appears like normalcy, or we could make this worse and it'll drag on forever. So what do you want to do? Like, just mm-hmm. suck it up and stay home for two weeks. It's not the end of the world. You mm-hmm. can handle it. Like, mm-hmm. read a fucking book. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how um, different perspectives on, like, what constitutes hard so, like, working from home for a few weeks is hard for some people, where for a lot of people that would be a fucking dream come true. Like, it's not. <laughs> working I at mean, home is awesome. I love it. I feel, like, blessed, genuinely. Like, I feel so lucky that I, and I always have, not just now. Now, of course, I feel lucky, too, even though I'm also going to lose income and, you know, events are canceled and things like that. And I am, of course, worried about, um, the economy and income and things like that. But, you know, in general, in my life, like every day I wake up and I'm like, wow, thank God I don't have to get on the bus and go to an mm. office. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I, I I've, 
I've um, I've worked from home for a long time uh, by choice. Um, so obviously it doesn't impact me, but this is something I've been working on for years, like setting up my life to, to work from home, work online. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the, what I can really empathize with is if you're a student or a single mom or someone in like the service industry, you're on a minimum wage, there's definitely no opportunity to work from home. Yeah. So people who are whinging about working from home, like firstly, they, they can just fuck off. Like that's Yeah, you still have your job and you just get to stay home now. There's so many strategies to deal with like feeling isolated. There's a thing called the internet that connects you to the whole world instantly. But you know, like for people who are in the kind of jobs where um, you know, like laboring and stuff like that, those are the people that are going to be most hit. Because if there really is a breakout, it's going to hit them and they're not going to have, like in the States, you know, proper health coverage, Um, potentially not going to be able to afford medical bills if they had them and not going to be able to afford to have time off work, period. Like, Like casual workforces don't get paid to have sick leave. So, you know, I don't know what, what safety net is in place. I think obviously Canada would have a different system, but. Um, yeah, I mean, people can can apply for EI and they're sort of changing the system so that people can, can get through that red tape a lot faster. Um, and they're giving people breaks on their mortgages. I'm hoping people are going to give, uh, I'm hoping they're going to give people breaks on their rent. Um, yeah. I hope that they consider doing something actually like, they're doing in the stage, which is actually just giving people cash. Yeah. 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 To tide that, people over and to fun. sort of try to barely keep the economy going. I mean, we can't keep right. the economy going if nobody has any money and therefore nobody can spend any money. Even right. when the, the, these businesses that have been shut down when they can come back, I mean, and, and people are so broke and they're scared to go out. I mean, even when, when people are allowed to reopen again, I mean, people are going to be super scared. I think, a lot of yeah. people anyway, to go to big events and maybe to go to bars and maybe to go to restaurants. People are still going to be cagey about that and staying home yeah. more than they, they would have been in the past. So are they um, uh, instituting, you know, face masks and like uh, all that kind of stuff over there as well? No, not face masks, oh, which okay. I don't understand. That was another thing that they were complaining about in this article that I read about the Whole Foods employees is that they weren't having them wear face masks, which I don't get. Like you're all working at a grocery store. You're interacting with hundreds and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's hand sanitizer and things like that. But that's, you know, you you pass and you get this um, illness through droplets that travel through the air so like if you're so not no wearing a mask no face masks so so what's about gloves or not but they should be all wearing face masks i think yeah i would i would assume i mean the more protective equipment the better i don't i mean you can't be too cautious right now um yeah. it's really an opportunity for like what kind of uh, solutions collectively can people come up with at a local level that both protect the vulnerable workforces and protect 
the most vulnerable members of community. Um, and I'm seeing ideas like uh, they're opening supermarkets early for pensioners, people with disability, um, to have sort of like first dibs on um, groceries. But, of course, the, you know, a lot of people can't actually even get to a supermarket, so there's still a huge gap there. So, like, all of these kind of issues that are cropping up at a local level, I feel like they present an opportunity to find solutions to problems that really we should have been addressing these problems long, long ago, but they've been allowed to just kind of sit because people have been able to get by in like a, you know, casualized workforce or, um, you know, pensioners, pensioners who are isolated. This is going to maybe, I hope, put those issues on the map. Like we can't keep ignoring this. Yeah, well, I think that the biggest thing that's coming to light right now is that we're not invincible. Like I think that we totally just thought that this civilization yeah. was permanent, that it was indestructible, Everything is so easy for us. I mean, it's not easy for everything, but relative to much of history, things are pretty easy for us here mm. in the West. Like we have access to, as you said, an abundance of food. Everything mm. is so easy. You click a button, you know, like you can order whatever you want on Amazon. It'll come the next day. Um, uh, we're relying so much on products coming from other countries, which we really shouldn't be doing. We're obviously relying a lot on China, which we really shouldn't be doing. Mm. And I think all of a sudden everyone is just realizing that this could all stop. Yeah. Like it could just all end so fast. All of our incomes could end. The economy could end. Mm. We could all be trapped in our homes with no access to the things that we need. The healthcare yeah. system could get overloaded and fucked. And if we get sick, we might not be able to access the care we need. Yeah, yeah. Someone's just said they're um, helping elderly people out at work, giving their phone number, and then they call me with a shopping list and leave it outside their door. You know, like um, those are the kind of local level solutions that I think we've um, maybe benefited from some of the outcomes of globalization in a really unconscious way like Amazon, like you can order a Chinese product from Amazon and get it the next day. Um, and it's meant that we haven't had to build like local networks and localized solutions to problems that are actually human needs as opposed to, oh, we want like the latest electronic gadget. This is like, this is really bringing us back to basics in terms of people must have access to food. Uh, people must have access to healthcare, um, and in a lot of cases, or just about all cases in certain countries, those are all privatized industries. So now we're dealing with privatized industry being responsible for the provision of social needs, and that's going to bring up a whole bunch of new questions, and they're going to be dealt with differently in different countries. I know for sure. But like United States is a really interesting example where things are so highly privatized. Um, how are those companies going to deal with the competing priorities of safeguarding stake their stockholders versus 
provision of social goods to people who may die if they don't provide those social goods. Yeah. Do you know um, what I mean? Yeah. I think, I mean, <laughs> to change the subject slightly, mm. I'm wondering, okay, so obviously I just wrote an article that said that millennials suck and that they're handling all this really badly and that they're mm. not taking it really seriously. What do you think, like, in terms, like, have you been, like, looking online to see how people are dealing with this? Like, I feel like I was so irritated that, I mean, again, I've already communicated that I hate everybody and I'm irritated with everyone and I think people are handling this really badly. But, mm -hmm. um, like, not only did I th I, do I see people not taking it seriously, but they're being super narcissistic about the whole thing and using it as opportunity as an opportunity to like virtue signal so i'm seeing tons of people like spending all their time arguing with everybody else online they think they're everybody's like a fucking doctor and a fucking expert all yeah. of a sudden and chastising everybody else online other people are using it for like opportunities to complain about how like social distancing is causing them depression and agitation again like two or three days in like mm -hmm. this is gonna be a while mm -hmm. so you're gonna have to figure out some coping mechanisms here also and again like it's really it's not that bad it makes me feel like people are so you know not self self-sufficient like i don't understand why you aren't able to figure out ways to occupy your time and lots of these people are people who don't even live alone Mind you, they're people mm. who are living with partners or roommates or with mm. their families. Um, and I just think that people are so spoiled and have never dealt with any hardship and are totally self-centered. Like, I don't really care if this is causing you um, anxiety or agitation or even depression right now because all of us are feeling that way. And some of us are feeling it much worse than others. Again, people who have lost their incomes or their businesses and their jobs. Um, and you know, if you're employed and you're stuck inside, I, I don't really want to hear you fucking whining about boredom or being cooped up or whatever. I mean, it's just silly. And most of those people are millennials. Sorry. They, I mean, that might be because older people don't participate online as much, but I'm not sure that's true. Cause I think older people I'm looking on Facebook, right? I'm not on Twitter as much. Although of course I've been looking at it to see what's going on. Um, and people who use Facebook actually are older, generally, right? Yes. Like, it's younger people who are using Twitter. So, I don't know. What have you seen? I think this kind of speaks to um, Dave Chappelle did a really good uh, bit on um, poverty and being poor. And he said, the difference between being poor when you're, and this is a generalization, this is not my perspective, but I'm just saying, the difference between <laughs> being poor when you're white and being poor when you're black is that the white person feels like it shouldn't be happening to them. Hmm. And right. um, I think this speaks to a lot around really unrealistic expectations that a lot of people, particularly millennials, particularly millennials in countries like Canada, <laughs> have of the world, which is the world is responsible for my personal feelings of satisfaction. And it's not even the world is responsible or the government is responsible for, you know, um, healthcare and provision of basic needs. No, no, no. 
you're responsible for making me feel happy. And totally. if you're not, it's a fucking injustice. And I mean, this speaks to the whole gender identity movement. Like, I feel uncomfortable. You have to change the laws. You have to change the way you speak. You have to change yes. the way you live. Change it's your fucking else's fault. Yeah, because I'm uncomfortable. And and like newsflash, human life is fucking uncomfortable. It's just that a lot of people have been raised in a way that is so comforting and so nurturing that they think the slightest feeling of discomfort is a is a human rights violation. Yeah. It's so not. they think they're supposed to be protected from everything and that everything they want they should have and every feeling that they have should be validated. So all this like putting their feelings online stuff that I've been seeing. I mean, I see it in general, but I'm seeing it a lot more right now where people are posting mm-hmm. online about how distraught they are over the social distancing thing that they're going to have to do for two or three weeks. Um, you know, it's like, why are you, why are you complaining about your relatively privileged life when you're mm-hmm. doing something that literally everyone else has to be doing now? And like, you're okay. Like you're healthy. So Mm -hmm. what is this? And like, why it's like, they're, they're relating it to mental illness, right? It's like, well, no, you feel stressed out because this is kind of a stressful situation and it sucks to not be able to like that. You have to change your life sort of drastically for a little while. Like this, but you know, like you're not being traumatized by this. Come on. And like, come on, like you're doing this for other people. Like you're not doing, it's not about you. You're not sick. We're trying to make sure that more people, like other people don't get sick and that we don't fuck up the healthcare system even more. Like, No, but their feelings trample all that, remember? Like someone said in the comments, they think having feelings validated is a human right. Exactly. I would say like living over here in Vietnam, this is my second time living here, no one's even talking about, oh, I feel it. I mean, these are people who have gone through a war recently, so there's a totally different cultural context here. But, like, feelings? No one gives a fuck. I mean, people who are out of work, fuck, what are we going to do? Like, people are trying to, you know, come up with local solutions to that. But feelings? I mean... You, you know, like we can get together and chat with our best friends about our feelings, but we don't go online and go like, oh, the government, the government's like not validating me and I, I feel so oppressed right now. Like that is just absolute horse shit. And I think someone used the like the term, it might have been Karen talking about like the uh, disorders people are creating out of a comfort um like a need for comfort, deciding Mm -hmm. that they have trauma because they're not comfortable. Like not being comfortable is not a fucking trauma. Um, And you're not entitled to feel comfortable. No. Like feeling comfortable is great, but like you said, like life is uncomfortable. I mean, there's all sorts of really horrible things that can happen to you in life. And then a bunch of other shit that really sucks, like breakups, like people dying, like your pets dying, like being sick, breaking a leg, like (laughs) there's like a lot of being tired. (laughs) But uh, I mean, life is uncomfortable and at the end you die. There There comes a point where you have to face the fact that discomfort and suffering is fundamental to human life. 
And this expectation of I've always got to be comfortable, I've always got to be happy, everybody owes me happiness is going to cause you tremendous suffering but not trauma. So this whole thing about like I have trauma because I'm not comfortable, like that drives me insane and I don't think it's just coming from millennials. I think there's the whole kind of wellness industry pushing this agenda of telling people they have trauma from being or uncomfortable. PTSD, like, oh, yeah. like the overuse of PTSD. That's like a yeah. big thing that's been going on for the past if few someone, years, right? Someone Which is again, something- why they need to be protected from, you know, books or ideas that they disagree yeah. with because it's triggering. Like triggering, yeah. that's like a word that's attached to PTSD. Like when you've had trauma and, and something's <sighs> triggering you. Like, and the problem that's is not just people- like, I feel uncomfortable. Like, They've learnt the language of um, mental illness. So they'll talk about, you know, oh, it's sending me into dissociation and no, 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 no. Like if you are really dealing with PTSD, you're not on fucking Twitter talking about it. Guaranteed. Like the people that are most vulnerable, the people that are in the most marginalized populations are not tweeting like, oh, I feel uncomfortable and it's causing trauma for me. It, it's not, if you're in a dissociative state, you, it, that is fundamentally impossible. You know what um, I mean? Somebody, somebody in the comments just said, it's because social media has isolated us and that it's because we don't have best friends anymore. Is that true? Is that like true of younger people? Because I have lots of best friends, but I also am probably older. I mean, I didn't grow up with social media. I didn't even grow up with the internet, right? Like I didn't get my first email address until I was probably 18. Like when I was in high school, there wasn't an internet as we know it today. Like Mm -hmm. my parents had like dial up to do research for their school. Like, yeah, um, like just to access the library online, right? we made best friends. Like that's what we did. I mean, I still have a lot of close friends that I've known my whole life. I have new close friends though, too. You know, I still, I've still made a lot of good friends as an adult, which is something people often say, like you can't make friends when you're an adult. And I don't think that's true at all. I think maybe you just have to try harder and these people aren't, are just not trying. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're in school anymore where you keep getting to meet up. You have to kind of actually actively make the effort, which is hard yeah. if you, if you're a truly an introverted person, uh, that can be hard because talking to people and going out of your way is a bit draining. Um, or if you have social anxiety, it's a bit draining. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I empathize with that, uh, but, but it's not a form of trauma. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like I guess, I guess fair enough. Like I feel like, and I mean, I also, I am extroverted so it's probably not that hard for me to meet people but I also it, it, it really takes a lot of effort like with my friends like I I make plans with them all the time and I make plans like way in advance because we're all busy like we're all yeah. adults a lot of my friends have kids and we also all have jobs and you know like I I'm gone a lot. Like I travel mm-hmm. for work and I have lots of meetings and stuff. And it does, I think some, I think people when they're adults just are lazy about making friends. Cause like you say, like, it's like they, when you're in school, you just have friends because people are always around. And if you're an Is adult, if you meet, meet somebody and you connect with them and you want to be their friend, you have to like, you know, 
contact them and make plans like you aren't just going to run into them ever is like, this the entitlement try. thing happening again like the world owes me friends like as in the world owes me comfort or I wonder, is it well i wonder if like i mean i don't know because i mean i'm talking even about people my age but okay i wonder i mean i think millennials have maybe less friends or less of a social life than people did in the past maybe because they're online more I don't know is that true yeah I think I think it's an issue of breadth versus depth and when we when we had a bigger uh, offline social world we we created more depth because obviously in the um, actual person-to-person like face-to-face interactions we create more depth than we can because of body language like there's so many reasons we right. can create more depth in our friendships where if you're online and just sharing memes, you know, you can like amass more friends, but there's no real depth to what's going on. And I think you can see that like with meme culture, a lot of people and like the, the sad, the sad, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of everyone is out. so sad and lonely on the internet and nobody yeah. wants to go out. Like I don't, I totally cannot relate to like the vast majority of memes that I see in my Instagram feed because they're all like, I never want to go out ever and I'm so lonely and I'm so sad all the time. And I'm like, what's wrong with you all? Like, why is everybody depressed? Like, okay. So I think there's a couple of things. One is uh, being introverted. You know, the the definition of being introverted is that uh, social interaction is energetically draining for you. So it's not about like how much you want to interact with people. Some people think that introversion and extroversion means I want to interact with people versus I don't want to interact with people. Generally speaking, everyone has a need for social interaction, but introverts tend toward feeling drained by that interaction and extroverts tend toward feeling energized by that interaction Um, And then obviously social anxiety and confidence comes into it. So if you're an introvert and you tend towards social anxiety, not only do you feel drained by it, but you feel anxious in the lead up to it. But fundamentally, you still have a human need for that connection, for that social belongingness. There's just many more barriers and so I think that a lot of young people who tend towards introversion and anxiety around social interaction think, oh, well, the internet can help mediate and help me feel like I'm connected. But the problem is it doesn't. Right. It right. doesn't. And it isolates you more. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, staring at the internet and engaging online never makes me feel better. And it actually, that it makes me feel drained. Like if I've mm-hmm. spent the day scrolling through facebook or Mm. are you in a facebook argument god forbid because i hate Mm. them um or you know when i used to be on twitter and like if something blew up like that would be so like i would feel so tired like i would just feel exhausted and brain dead and that's not i mean i i like my alone time don't get me wrong like i don't want to be around people all the time at all i mean i i wouldn't even want to live with somebody um, I need my space to like think and work and write and all that. So, you know, I'm not so much of an extrovert that I want to be with people all the time, but I do like socializing and I don't, I've never experienced feeling 
nervous or anxious about socializing. Mm -hmm. So you're on the, the, the kind of easier end of the scale. Um, yeah. Um, people are talking about what millennials are. So millennials, I think, I mean, it depends on what you read, but I think it ends in 80 or 81. I think that's like the Someone the said millennials, millennials are born 82 to 96. Okay, 82. So um, I'm a yeah no I just missed it but I'm also not really Gen X either because Gen X um like I was 79 and yeah depending on what you read like the youngest Gen Xer would be 79 um but some things say like 78 I feel like I'm in I'm always in some kind of great and I don't relate to Gen Xers super you know like that doesn't it's that doesn't feel like those don't feel like my people because all those people have always been older than me like the Gen Xers were the ones who were like graduating from high school or, or, or already in college when I was. Well, how you know, do you relate to the millennial world where people are like, uh, you know, going out to socialize and not taking this seriously and all of that kind of stuff? I think, I mean, I have a, I have a ton of friends who are millennials. Like I probably spend a lot more time with millennials than I do with Gen Xers. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I think I I think maybe it's the younger millennials. Like I don't think that it's necessarily actually the the millennials that I know because as far as I can tell a lot of people that I know are being pretty responsible about this, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the people that I know I'm friends with are very um engaged online and mm. informed mm. and educated and cautious like they're not the kind of people who would go on a booze cruise or go to florida for spring break and they're not the kind of people like they're the kind of people who would be listening to and reading the news Um, is it is it spring break right now is that what's happening i don't fucking i think it was this week because it was like there was yeah it must be this week because there's news reports of all these kids partying in florida on like monday and tuesday Um, the beaches were packed uh and then there was interviews with all these these young people saying like whatever like it's my spring break I want to party like if I get corona oh well I'll be fine it happens like they don't get that it's not about them yeah of course they will be fine like it's just old people and uh, people that can't afford healthcare that won't be fine. <laughs> like, duh, we, I think, I thought that was established pretty early on that social isolation was not about you protecting yourself, but about you protecting vulnerable people who actually won't be able to cope with this. Not spreading it to other people and not overloading the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the, what's, what's going to happen to the healthcare system is a really big concern. It's not even just people dying, but it's like the more people who are in the hospital, um, that means that everybody's overworked and that people can't get the treatment that they need. And um, do you know what's happening with the United States? Like their their numbers are exponentially increasing, and I hope that they will. So, what happens healthcare wise? Are people covered, or does it depend on their health insurance? Like, what's their uh, safety net? I mean, I don't totally understand their system, but I believe that yeah, you need insurance; otherwise, you have to pay. 
Um, so I don't know how they, I mean, I'm so glad that I don't live in the States. Um, it's free in Canada, obviously. Um, but what a nightmare, um, to have to go to the hospital and somebody ask you if you have insurance or not, and then you might end up with a a major bill if there's some kind of emergency and get super sick. That's going to cause so many more issues like exponentially in terms of if people feel like they can't go to a hospital, so they stay home, so they spread rather than contain the virus or die. Well, hopefully they stay home, but, I mean, unless they get yeah. super sick because what people are supposed to be doing. I mean, part of the problem, I mean, what's what's weird is that, you know, we're getting all these numbers about cases of coronavirus and they're all wrong. Nobody's getting tested in Canada. Nobody. What? Um, Why not? Like, because unless thing, unless you're at the hospital and you're in kind of a dire condition, you're not getting a test because they don't have right. enough tests. They don't have the resources. Right. They don't have the capacity to test people. Like I have friends who tried to go get tested and got turned away. I called to try to get tested because I got sick a week and a half ago when I got back from Mexico. So I, And they were like, a nurse will call. Like they wouldn't let me come in. And this was a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, right? So it wasn't wow. even as bad as it was now. They wouldn't let me come in. Um, yeah. They got a nurse to call me back the next day and talk to me. And so I told her my symptoms and she was like, no, you don't need to come in for a test. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't have a fever. Um, and yeah. I had come from Mexico, not China, which means literally nothing because they don't know who I was sitting on the plane with. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I stayed home, like, yeah. uh, but so, so the, they so didn't the, even tell me to stay home. They didn't, they just said, no, they didn't say, like, uh, isolate yourself. Home. They just said, no, because you don't have a fever, so you don't have it. You don't have to come in for a test. This is wild. So the, the rates in U.S. and Canada are likely to be wildly Way off. Yeah. yeah, way off. Um, yeah. And I've heard this from tons of other people here in Vancouver. Nobody's nobody's getting tested. Like, yeah, unless you're super sick and you go into emergency. Wow. Okay. That's pretty scary. Um, and it's pretty indicative of, I, I'm not sure what people are paying over here, but I do know that, I'm pretty sure the state, I mean, this is not a welfare state by any means, even though it's a communist country in, Viet, in Vietnam. But um, I do believe that they're putting people in isolation in hospitals and I, I don't think they're charging. So that's really interesting that, you know, a country with far less resources is making it possible to get testing and treatment um, as mm-hmm. soon as possible. And countries that should technically have those resources are not offering them. I mean, what that means long term, that's pretty scary. Well, it just means like, I mean, how many people were told what I was told and actually had the virus and kept on going with their lives Yeah, and kept on going to work and getting on the bus and coughing on people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, Canada was behind in shutting things down. Like we should have done it earlier. Um, and we didn't, we didn't, we, we sort of started shutting things down on Monday, but there was not the direction that was like, no, actually you guys really do have to shut down. People were kind of doing it voluntarily. Um, 
and now, I mean, really, like we have an opportunity to shut this down if everybody actually practices social distancing, actually. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean having play dates. That doesn't mean going to the park with your friend. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean like going over to your neighbor's house and sitting in the yard and drinking beers. Yes. Like it doesn't mean not going out at all. But man, mm-hmm. like people, I mean, your yeah. your kids can't hang out like, with other people's kids. Like, yeah, we're definitely responding late. Like I said, in Vietnam, things have been shut down here since Tet, which was like two months ago. You know, right. like. And it's just, it's like, it's just dawned upon Australia and the States and Canada, like, oh, we should do something. Like it's been done here for months. And it's kind of like people are now bouncing back to normal life because they're like, we've kind of kept, and they're, they're, the borders are going to be shut. Yeah, the, the borders are shut. They're going to be shut. No one's coming in. Um, so the local economy is, is kind of protected in a way. And, of course, and I guess this is kind of speaking to the fact of, when you do have some welfare state and some healthcare system, people kind of do play in that risky space a bit more of like, oh, well, the government will look after me. Um, There's no mentality like that here. You cannot afford to get sick. You cannot afford to let, and, you know, you live with your extended family in Vietnam. If you get sick and you make your grandparents sick, they're dead. That's it. No one can afford to go to hospital. Um, you live with your grandparents, so you're going to make them sick. So it's kind of like there, there's been this really harsh, rapid response to contain it, and it seems like they've safeguarded themselves. And in countries where there is some welfare state and they're obviously, like we've been saying, there's more entitlement of like, oh, well, I should feel comfortable. It's about me. It's about my happiness. <laughs> the government should just look after me. Um I think a lot of people are really overestimating what the government can do. Right, I mean, that's the thing is that people aren't taking responsibility here. Like, Mm. the government really does have to say, okay, no, we're taking over and you're not allowed to go out anymore because people aren't doing it otherwise. It's it's childish. They're all acting like children. It does seem draconian, but that's what they have to do. They have to, like totally crack down and they have to say, no, your business has to close and no, you guys aren't out allowed out on this street and no, we're making regulations around the grocery store and how much you're allowed to buy and how many people are allowed at once. Why didn't they do that? As soon as people started panic buying, this is something I can't understand. They're talking about it in Australia in terms of uh, finding people who are over buying um, but I don't understand why they didn't just start putting limits on what people can buy. Like there was a sign. Totally. From, like uh, no more than like this X amount of toilet paper or yeah. meat or like cans Sanitizer. of soup. Like you can come yeah. back. <laughs> like you yeah, just yeah, can't yeah. buy everything in the store so that other people can't buy anything. Yeah. Like yeah, women yeah. are going to the stores and they're not able to buy diapers because somebody bought it all up. Like. For their kid, and, and I don't I understand this TP. <laughs> like, why are people hoarding toilet paper? Like, toilet know. paper is the least of your worries. Like, there are solutions. If you run out of toilet paper, you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't. It die. won't be great, but <laughs> you won't die. You do have a shower. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like not you know. 
It does. What is the desperation? Who started this? Who started this? Fuck, we're going to run out of toilet paper. Toilet Everybody paper. go buy toilet paper things. But the idea that we're going to run out of toilet paper has meant that we have run out of toilet paper. So it was a yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. I bought toilet paper on Thursday last week. Not a ton. I just bought some extra because I saw this coming. And by Monday, there was none. Mm. Like, I don't know how much toilet paper people, I mean, people think that, like, people do think that it's, like, the zombie apocalypse, and, you know, it, but yeah. at the same time, if they think that it's the zombie ap- apocalypse, then they should follow directions and stay the fuck home. I know, there's such a um, wide array of responses going on, some people doing the doomsday thing of buying out everything, like someone said, some people are buying shit out and selling it on eBay, which is the most disgusting thing you could possibly do right now, and then other people being like, ah, fuck it, spring break, let's go get pissed and go to a boat party. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) we're really seeing the extent of human behavior right now. Yeah, totally. I know it's odd because it's like people are super panicking and freaking out and behaving in weird ways. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then, yeah, people are also kind of stubbornly refusing to change their lives and lifestyle mm-hmm. or just like not really paying attention and thinking like this doesn't affect me. So whatever, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to get sick. So who cares? And mm-hmm. I mean, pandemics are really serious. Like this is like, Mm-hmm. So, like this is not going to be the worst pandemic that we're going to see no exactly so we need to figure out people, how to deal with this yeah like a lot of uh, epidemiologists are saying this is like this is a trial run this yeah. is not the real thing um, yeah I mean and that's we and it's I mean we have so little control over it too because it comes from um, wild birds I mean, mm-hmm. in this case, bats in, in those wildlife markets, which need to be shut down, like, now for fucking ever. I right. can't believe those things even exist. Right. That's something I wanted to talk to you about. Like, um, I've been reading, like, a little bit of commentary from both sides of the political spectrum, and... um I can see a lot of racism sparking up like in the comment sections of conservative things about like fucking Chinese bullshit, like eating this shit. And, and then of course, like more left leaning uh, publications trying to be like, well, it's not about, it's not about China's uh, exotic meat trade. It's about capitalism and racism and da, 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 da. It is about capitalism, but it's definitely about the the wild animal markets well, <laughs> in I mean, this case. I mean, that's like, literally where it came from. And those things are right. disgusting. And it those things are going to for sure cause like new strains of influenza to pop up that humans can't fight off. That's what right. happens. That's how this works when you have like, HIV that on top of some other like weird rare animal and like right. yeah, exactly. Right. I mean that's where HIV like, came from. That's time. where SARS came from. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to sorry you go. No go on. I wanted to comment on the exotic meat thing because, um, you know, like I've lived in Vietnam and there is an exotic meat trade here. And in the same way as China, there's a dog meat trade. And um, a lot of this does relate to really old school uh, thinking around 
And this is the thing, a lot of people will jump to racism and then other people will jump to, oh, people are poor and that's why they have to eat this. And I would, I would just like to say both of those are wrong. <laughs> and um, the reason people eat exotic meats is that uh, they're seen as a luxury item and they're also they're incredibly expensive. So it doesn't have very much to do with poverty at all. It often has a lot to do with really old school thinking around how eating certain types of meat makes men more virile. Um, that's kind of the basis for the dog meat trade. Um, and the exotic meat trade is kind of like the high end version of that. Um, and no, it's definitely, uh, my criticism of this is not racist at all. Um, I actually, from memory, like I, I lived here many years ago. I think my ex's dad sometimes sold exotic meat. Um, and that's not because he's an asshole. It's because, uh, you know, it's really fucking valuable. And uh, when you can catch exotic animals and sell them, I mean, you're talking, you're talking about people that would otherwise be selling corn or chickens. If you can catch a wild animal and sell that for like the equivalent of 200 US dollars, that's a fucking gold mine. Yeah. And there's a market to, to buy those because really, really wealthy people generally will eat exotic meats um, during business transactions, like when they go to meet some really important people and you want to be impressive and you want to show your status, that's when the exotic meat will be used. There's also some myths around uh, certain animals having certain properties that are good for curing things mm. and shit like that. But I think the meats in this case were more just like, oh, those are like luxury meats that really wealthy people eat sometimes. Yeah, and it's a status symbol. Somebody just said that in the comments. Exotic meats yeah. are about status. And that's what I understood also. You know, it's not regular people in China who are, who are buying these meats. Oh, God, no. meat. um, and yeah, it's about demonstrating the status because it's expensive and whatever, but they definitely have to shut them down immediately. And I do realize, as somebody else pointed out in the comments, that it's hypocritical to eat meat and, and criticize the the wild animal markets. Um, and, you know, I agree, because obviously the way that we raise and eat meat, the agriculture industry okay. in North America is pretty terrible. Um, right. But I think though. that we can criticize one thing and also criticize the other thing. And, you know, not everybody is everybody's participating in this system in some way. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't criticize bad things and say that we should shut down this terrible thing. That's going to continue to um, cause pandemics throughout the world. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing with exotic meat and much like dog meat. Um, it's not farmed or sold in the same way that agricultural meats are. So for example, um, and like I've got a friend here who's, family has a pig farm so I've you know I've seen some of these farms and they're not great you know like animal husbandry practices across the world agriculturally are not great but the thing is when you talk about dog meat or exotic meat these kind of meats that are not normally produced or sold they're animals that are generally uh, stolen um, they 
are not farmed for this purpose. They're gone and taken. Like a lot of times um, for the dog meat trade in China and Vietnam, they go to like Thailand and go to rural areas to to capture dogs from villages because there's none here. Um, and the way they transport them and prepare them and kill them is totally different and far more cruel than it is with the general um, farming animals like pigs yeah. or chickens. And it's kind of to do with the fact that they're, they're not animals that were designed for eating. So like transporting dogs is really hard because they're all different shapes and sizes. Um, they, they don't transport well. They got long legs um, that get broken. It, you know, like the way that they're dealt with is much worse. Um, so my criticism is not, I, personally, I don't care what meat people eat. I'm not a vegan and I'm not judging people for what they eat. But the way they do it is much worse. There's also myths around if you're beating the animals that increases how virile you will be when you eat the meat. Um, So I actually think, yes, we should be critical of of, uh, unethical practices in farming. And, you know, movements like moving towards free-range cage eggs is starting to address it on a kind of mass scale. But criticizing local meat, I mean, you can buy Mm. meat in Vancouver and on the island from your local farmer, um, Mm -hmm. and those animals are raised and killed in humane ways. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're not piled up on top of each other in cages or shoved into these tiny spaces and living horrible lives. And that's the thing, they're they're animals that were not designed to be farmed or eaten. So the way that they're farmed and eaten – is much more cruel um and that's just a a logistical fact of the of the fact that they're they weren't designed for this um and you know they go and capture them out in in wild places where they should just be living freely yeah, um, some and people are saying in cages oh, and uh, piled on top of each other and then yeah. bled to death yeah yeah and some people are saying like oh this is about you know like Veganism is not the future. Somebody says in the Mm. comments that veganism is the future, but I really think I'm not trying to be mean. And if you're a vegan, that's great. I Mm. totally support you, but that's not going to happen. The the world is not going to go vegan. It's never going to happen. I've tried to, and I lost so much weight and became so unhealthy. Like it's, it's for some people, it's just not possible. Uh, You know, I gave it a good crack for a couple of years and it, well, and, you, and it's also that I feel like veganism is something that you can access if you're fairly privileged. I mean, absolutely. Um, if you can, I mean, it, it's hard to get all the nutrients that you need if you're a vegan. It's not impossible. Well, I don't know. That's that's arguable. Some people would argue with me on that. I don't. I I, mean, I, I think that I would feel like shit if I was a vegan, and I would probably not be eating very healthily, and I would not be getting the nutrients that I needed. I think the thing is as well, people forget those industries, the, the kind of high-end organic uh, vegan food industries are not totally immune from unethical practices either. Like remember when quinoa became a thing and suddenly people in Peru who actually relied on quinoa could not afford to eat their normal staple diet? Um, I've also read about cashew milk. Well, which agriculture is, is bad for the earth and the world also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, soy is but not so great. 
exactly like this new movement for cashew milk which is obviously like a, a kind of high-end milk product um you know like they're devastating local ecologies by planting cashew trees that require so much more nutrients and water than than what we would normally be farming there so it's worse <laughs> um so i don't think that like blanket solutions are necessarily going to solve the problem no um do we have anything more to talk about that's coronavirus related um is does anyone want to share with us what they've been doing with their time have mm. you guys all been putting pants on or no <laughs> <laughs> playing badminton mm. day drinking <laughs> Yeah. I'm just, my life is like almost the same as it was before. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just going to keep, like, I'm able to get a bit more work done because I don't have any meetings or events and I don't have a social yeah. life. <laughs> so, like, and I'm starting, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about how it's going to go for the next couple of weeks, but, like. Yeah. I'll be okay. I mean. I mean, I, you're going to be, are you going to be. That's my boyfriend in the background. Nice. I can see him also. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is going to change. I mean, this is unprecedented economically. So it's going to be really interesting what what comes of this, not only for people's everyday life, but in terms of like the way we do economic policy and the way uh, governments respond to these type of crises. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think like there were some questions that we wanted to respond to. I mean, also feel free to ask us questions in the comments right now, but we actually did get some good questions online that people wanted us to respond to in the live stream today. Um, yeah. Do you have them handy? Otherwise I can look them up. Um, I think I do. Where were they? Um, okay. Something about ghosts. I think that was a really that good That was one. mine. That wasn't a <laughs> That's just <laughs> me because I really like to talk about. Oh, oh there's one question. Like, oh, so you guys want to talk about ghosts? <laughs> uh, there's one question I actually really like, which is, um, like, what's your actually most controversial opinion that people should hate you for, which is not a related to gender identity? oh my gosh I have so many top three okay first of all I think cats make bad pets mm -hmm. I think most people know that one about me already it's not I don't actually not like cats I love all animals I'm a real oh. animal lover but cats clearly do not want to be your pet and <laughs> they offer human beings nothing so why do you have them in your house they don't want to be in your house they want to okay. go outside and kill birds I have a theory for you. Um, I, I wonder if people who find cats appealing are people who generally find... Uh, They're introverts? Human, uh, not necessarily introverts, but people who might find human intimacy um, confronting and people who might be drawn to um, avoidant human beings, but that in itself is too anxiety-inducing, so they choose an avoidant animal, mm. which basically safeguards you from any, 
you go are constantly looking for connection from something that doesn't want a connection <laughs> from you. But don't you think if that were true, I would have a cat? Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, you might have avoidant. I, I don't know necessarily that you're avoidant. There, there are things. No, like, I'm not avoidant. I was okay. talking about. Let's not get into it too deep, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was uh-huh. talking about like your theory that people who are attracted to or drawn to to avoidance, right? Which so means that you no. might not necessarily be an love avoidant me, love person me, love yourself. Me, love me. Right, you might be more anxious or you might be more um, disorganized. There's people who move between being uh, avoidant and anxious, uh, which is quite common actually. So so generally an insecure attachment type. Um, So you might be attracted to more interested in an animal that actually doesn't want to have a connection with you. I mean, I've always had dogs and I love dogs. And to honestly, like my dog... Emma, who you've met before here on YouTube, um, is my best friend in the whole world. Like, I love Emma more than anyone. And I was talking about this animal issue, I think, in the context of, like, I don't know, something weird like kids versus animals. And somebody said, like, if it came down to it, like, if I were desperate, I would totally eat my pets. And I was like, like, I would die before I ate Emma. Yeah. Um, I, I, but anyway, so I, my point is that I, I want a pet who loves me and that I love and that we have, like, a real relationship yeah. and we've got good communication. Um, and yeah. I think that um, somebody in the comments said, cats are not your pets, they're your they're grumpy roommate, which I, I kind of agree with. I mean, I think your cat is kind of... I know I know some people are going to get mad about this and be like not my cat my cat loves me and my cat yeah, no, likes to I talk actually and snuggle. Know. I know there are some cats like that but yeah, I know part, some that's really not a cat cool personality cat. trait. Yeah, I know some really cool cats. Here's the thing um uh I I kind of appreciate uh how independent and like cats can be much more independent than dogs where dogs tend toward being needy. Yeah. So I kind of appreciate, (laughs) I can kind of appreciate how cats, like they do their own thing. They're very noble. Um, I actually really like that. I, I can see the appeal. I mean, I, I'm not in a position to have a pet, but I, I think I probably would like a cat, but that may also like reflect. I probably do have a disorganized attachment style. I think so, people who want cats are people that don't want to commit to having a real pet, which is totally fine. Like if you don't yeah. want to commit, because dogs are are so much work. Like you can't just leave them, right? Like you can't right. just leave a bowl of food. Like, like people can crazy. go away and leave their cats in their house and just come and feed. Okay. To come and feed their cat. Like if you did that to a dog, it would be like so traumatized. So there's the flip side to the cat argument: are people that are dog people, people who are actually quite needy of that validation that someone needs me. <laughs> Stop trying to analyze me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping I'm my dog. A friend. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I have mean, somebody I... to talk to. Just <laughs> talk back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's kind of true in the sense that um, you know dogs have that like loyalty and that need 
that constant need for validation, which yeah. makes us feel good because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm validating my dog. I'm well, it's a little it. bit like having a child. Like it's like you have a dependent, yeah. like a dog is dependent on you. Like your dog is dependent on you for food and social life and interaction and um, affection. Those are all things that dogs need that a lot of mm -hmm. cats don't need. Not all cats. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I do, I I do think that people who are cat people are people who kind of don't want the commitment of a full pet, but want kind of a part-time pet. Now you can hear Emma whining in the background because this happens every time we do this: is that mm. she's trying to get under the blanket and she can't do it on her own, and she's whining because she wants me to. <laughs> <laughs> she's like got her head under the blanket, and it's just like her butt sticking out in her head, and she's like. Yeah. Okay, so do you, well, do you have any really controversial opinions that that you people might not suspect? Oh, I mean, they're, they're very political, and I mean, you know, I guess. Um, Are you a Republican? No, like I would say, I'm a centrist. Um, here, okay, here's one that's relevant. Um, I don't actually necessarily. I'm not really interested in the idea of feminism as an identity. And I think that um, when we talk really strongly about I identify as a feminist, I think in some ways it's reaffirming the whole notion of identity politics. Um, I think feminism is a really useful frame of reference and an analytical tool. Um, and that might be my academic background where I use feminist analysis in some instances and I don't in others. Um, but I don't want to play into or validate any notion of identity politics. So I try to steer away from, I identify as a feminist. Yeah. I, I think agree with you. People also. Well, I mean, so this has been coming up a lot because I, I had a similar conversation with Karen recently on the live stream that we did and also with Benjamin Boyce. And people were sort of getting confused and thinking that I was rejecting the feminist movement mm. because I was saying I don't really care that much about identifying as a feminist. I mean, I obviously am a feminist. You can see that in my work, but I just don't really care to go around insisting that I'm a feminist. I don't really care. I, I, don't, I, I don't call myself a radical feminist. I never have. I don't feel like that's a label that fits properly it doesn't mean that I'm rejecting all of that theory or that I necessarily think that like some of that analysis is useful some of it not so much mm. um but it's not my entire identity mm -hmm. and I think that people get too attached to labels and identities generally in our culture mm. um and this is the thing it's been co-opted in two senses one is that feminism has been co-opted by um, capitalism as a way to rebrand unethical business behavior as somehow being empowering for women. Like when Beyonce puts the word feminist across the stage and it's like, oh, she's doing something for women. Um, but it's also been co-opted co by the identity politics movement, which is that everything we do is about how we identify 
So it doesn't matter what your actual behaviors and actions are. If you're shutting down women's only rape shelters, you can now classify that as feminist because you identify as a feminist. Right. Yeah. Okay. So someone in the comments just said, I think most young feminists genuinely feel that their identification makes every act feminist. Mm. And they say how to challenge that. But I don't, I mean, you just challenge that by saying like everything you do isn't feminist and everything you do doesn't have to be feminist. That's ridiculous. But I think that's the problem with getting so attached to that label is like, I'm a feminist turns into everything that I do is a feminist act, which is what happened in the third wave is that anybody who announced they were a feminist could then say my high heels are feminist or, you know, chose to say, you know, my makeup is feminist. My burlesque is feminist. I'm a feminist and I'm choosing that. Therefore this is a feminist act and insisting that they were a feminist. And then we get into these arguments with each other about like, no, you're not a feminist. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Who the fuck cares? Like, this is why I yeah. said, um, I mean, I've said this a number of times, but I, I think I said it when I was talking to Karen um, and I said it in an article that I wrote recently, you know, like I would rather just talk about ideas. I want to talk yeah. about what I believe, what I support. Um, I want to think critically about things. I don't, it's not helpful to just say I'm a feminist partly because nobody really knows what that means. And it doesn't really mean anything. Like right. just say what you, it's just a, it's a word, like say what you think, say, I believe this, I support this. I don't support this. I mean, it's not right. It's right. I mean, this is the whole thing with, um, this is the chapter I wrote. In fact, on, in the book we wrote on the limits of liberal feminism, you were, uh, you wrote a chapter in as well, which is, um, you know, corporations are engaging in highly unethical business practice, but they're able to brand it as business ethics um, because they're doing it under this umbrella of ethics. And I think the same thing is happening with feminism where it's like, I'm doing all this bullshit, but I'm calling it feminism. So it must be. And it's like not only are you um, doing, not not only are the things that you're doing actually harming women outside of yourself, but the fact that you're now misidentifying it as feminism is doing an additional harm, which is that it kind of muddies the water of what harms women. Like it's so hard now to really identify what harms women. We're not even allowed to talk about who women are because it's because identity politics has completely hijacked the notion of feminism so right. so the, the the waters are so muddied to the right. point real feminists now, support trans women or something yeah like that. so now we're not even allowed to talk about what women are if you're a feminist you're not allowed to say that women are female because supporting trans women means pretending that men who identify as trans women are literally female yeah and not yeah. questioning the impacts of that kind of statement or analysis in terms of and, how it impacts women in terms of right. laws etc so that's the thing that like circling back to my what i think might be uh unpopular is that I'm not interested in talking about whether i identify as a feminist i'm interested in talking about what policies I support, what organizations I support, 
um, what political positions I support as opposed to I identify as this, so that means everything I do is this. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to do everything that is uh, that could be analysed as being helpful to women in general. And, like, no. this question has come up before when I think some time ago people are like, oh, you guys uh, wear makeup, uh, you talk with vocal fry, like, that's not feminist. Um, and I think that kind of reflects this consumerist, individualistic, identity politics-driven view, which is that, like, your whole life is now about how you identify yourself into it's this. It's all process. a test. Now your whole yeah. life. Oh, you call yourself a feminist? That means that everything you do is to be scrutinized. Mm-hmm. And so are you wearing makeup? That's not feminist. I guess you're not a feminist. Like, mm-hmm. do you like men? Like, do you flirt with men? Do you behave in ways that, like, you, you know, do you, do you want men to like you so you change your behavior around certain men? Do you mm-hmm. wear high heels? Um, and, of course, you know, it goes on and on and on into, like, have you gotten married? Uh, you know, whether or not that's feminist and can a feminist get married and can a feminist stay home? Like, can a, can a feminist be, like, a stay-at-home mom or a homemaker? And it's just, like, this is just fucking never-ending. I mean, people are human beings and they're complicated and they're not going to fit into this, like, this is theory, yeah, exactly. People's lives are not theory. I think the thing that's frustrating is um, we get so fixated on women's behavior. You know, like you're talking with a vocal fry, you're wearing makeup. Like we get so, we're so interested in breaking down the minute or ma- micro aspects of women's behavior when a political analysis that tends toward a feminist perspective is typically trying to look at or trying to center the things that are most harmful to the most vulnerable women. So homeless women, women who've been exploited, women in the sex trade. But somehow we end up talking about fucking makeup, like Jesus Christ. Like, (laughs) can we get to the point, which is that actually the project of women's liberation was about the most vulnerable women. It wasn't about how, what do you wear? Like that well, was, and it was also about basic women's rights and ensuring that women were allowed to participate in public life. And that includes people think about that just as like the vote, but it was about much more than that. It was about property rights. It was about women having access to education and universities. It was about, public washrooms mm-hmm. like they're there uh, you know before the victorian what, era the there were yeah. not washrooms for women in public because women weren't supposed to be out in public so if they were out in public and they had to use the washroom they had to like you know go in a gutter somewhere or like hold it and go home like mm-hmm. it's about participation in public life not being confined to the house being an autonomous person like being an independent human being who wasn't just their husband like oh you have a husband now so he's you he votes on your behalf he owns property on your behalf Mm -hmm. and so you know like a lot of those those rights have been achieved but we need to keep fighting for them obviously because we can lose them in a fucking second and it doesn't mean we are losing other issues exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's so bizarre to me, uh, like being in Vietnam where, um, you know, there, there's still a lot of basic women's rights that really haven't been addressed and, and won't be addressed for a long time because of the way the government operates here. But still sex segregated spaces, like thank God, um, and, and on the opposite end of the spectrum in Canada, the most progressive place for women, you're now doing away with women's spaces. It's, exactly. it's so bizarre. Yeah, like we're losing those public spaces that we fought for and we're losing those private spaces that we fought for. And it's being led by women themselves in many cases. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> um, any more controversial opinions? I think cilantro uh, is disgusting. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, it's in like every Vietnamese dish, so I, I've kind of adapted to it. But it does taste kind of like poison to me. It tastes like soap. Like, and I'll yeah, I'll eat it if it's in food that I like, and I like Vietnamese food. So yeah, it is in a lot of Vietnamese food. But um, mushrooms are disgusting. I don't understand why anybody eats mushrooms. They taste like dirty rubber. Like, if someone wants to explain mushrooms to me, like, they're so gross. And, you like, what is it about the taste of mushrooms that you want to add to? Mm, I just want that some, like, dirty fungus in my salad or on my pizza. <laughs> what about when they're roasted, though? Like, it kind of... Never. Mm-hmm. No mushrooms. Okay. Someone said sushi is gross. I thought that sashimi... I thought sashimi was really gross. I just assumed it was gross. And then uh, like a few weeks ago, I tried it and I was like, holy fuck, it's really good. You only tried it a few weeks. Oh, man. I think, it, I mean, yeah. it might be an acquired, I love raw fish. I love like raw meat and raw fish generally. I just like, assumed I will eat it was raw gross. beef too. Oh, I no. assumed it was gross. Oh. It looks pretty weird. It does look weird. And it's a weird texture. Like, I, do you like oysters? I love oysters. But a weird thing to get used to. Very, like, fishy tasting and also slimy, but delicious. Really good oysters in New Zealand, actually. You could, I mean, try. You're like, no. I'll try. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll try. Like, I try everything, but. I feel like I have a lot of controversial opinions that I'm not remembering. I think that camping is stupid and weird. Like, why would you um, want to go sleep outside in a tent and then have to, like, wash your dishes in a bucket? Look, I have felt the same way, but um, I don't know. We're looking at, like, we don't want to pay rent right now, so we're, like, looking at, like, how can we get, like, a self-contained van or something? I'm, um, I'm in full support of a van. I would love, like, a uh, camperized okay. van. That's always been okay. a dream or, like, an RV or something. And yeah. I mean, camping for one night, fine, but it's the people yeah. that enjoy the whole process of camping where they want to, A, winter camp, so it's like snowing or stormy outside and they want to go through the whole process of setting up tarps and then like heating up their their coffee on their little camper stove and then sitting out in the freezing cold dark eating their shitty campfire food. That's what I don't really get. Like I feel like it's people who are well, urban, who are desperate for like what they think is a wilderness experience, but that's not really, I mean, when people live in rural areas, it's not like that. You're still like in a house and you have a bed and you have like, you can cook on the stove. 
this is the same <laughs> normal person and you yeah. have a sink like why you're making your life uncomfortable On and purpose with a price attached to it that for me is the exact same thing with pole dancing classes like you're making exercise more uncomfortable and more difficult and you're paying for it like there's literally no sense in either of those pastimes i exactly like why are you paying 40 dollars a night to sleep outside and suffer not not be able and to have to use an outhouse like gross but some people go camping and they've got like a full like a massive truck which has like tvs and all this shit in it that also makes no sense yeah like they've literally just taken their lounge room and they've taken their lounge room on the road and put it somewhere and then they drive home later so it's like they never left Okay, what were our other questions? There were some other questions that were good there. Um, hold on, I'm just going to look. Uh, okay, what do you wish that you knew in your early 20s, Laura? What do you guys wish that you knew in your early 20s in the comments section? I'm pretty happy that I, I partied and studied throughout my 20s. I'm glad that I partied too. I'm actually happy with my 20s because I like – kind of just did what I wanted I mean not like I didn't have any money so I couldn't like a lot of people go traveling in their 20s but I was yeah. so poor all the time that I couldn't go like I didn't go anywhere really until a few years ago um but I just kind of like partied and did what I wanted and I'm just glad that I kind of did that and got that all in my system and didn't waste my 20s trying to be like a responsible adult because there's lots of time to be a responsible adult I feel like I kind of tried to do everything um you know like I I moved overseas I did a lot of partying and while I was studying and then moved over to Vietnam for a few years and then and then went back and did a PhD but like Maybe I wish I'd known – this is weird because, I mean, like, I'm a psychologist and I studied psychology, but I kind of wish I'd known a bit more about psychology. Yes. Okay. Um, there's a lot of limitations to what we study. Um, and feel, and yeah. even yeah. as a psychologist, uh, the different modalities are not clear. Um, what's helpful to you is – not clear I feel much clearer now but I did not feel clear then uh, so I mean, probably I wish I was clear on that yeah I mean obviously I wish that I was not so insecure and that I didn't care so much about what people thought but that's tough because I think when you're young you don't know yourself very well so you're kind of inherently not going to be very confident but like the idea of caring about what other 20 year olds think about you just seems so stupid in retrospect it's like you really should have just done literally whatever and not worried what these people thought about you because they don't matter at all and they're just as stupid and as irrelevant as you are Mm. Um, and it's a time to have fun like you don't have to analyze it you don't have to go super deep um somebody says I wish I knew how to follow my instincts about certain people like yeah that too obviously but that's something that you learn hopefully that you learn not everyone does as you get older some people remain naive for life but yeah like wishing that you 
um, understood red flags and that you kind of understood what kind of shit you had, you didn't have to put up with, um, Mm. had better boundaries. Um, I mean, I sort of wish that I like went into relationships with more intention instead of without thinking about it literally at all. Yeah. I mean, Um, I feel like I wasted mindless. I feel like I wasted so much time just dating people and in relationships with people who just were not in any way compatible with me. And it was just such a waste of time because I just got into relationships with people because we hooked up and there was attraction, but I didn't think about it. Like I didn't think, is this a good choice for a partner? Like I've gone into every relationship so unintentionally because I'm so attached to like following my gut and just being like, eh, whatever, like, I'm just going to do this. Like, yeah. this isn't, or, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere anyway. So who cares? I think we've got to rem- I think uh, we don't understand when we're young in particular, like feeling an attraction doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, it can actually mean that there's some, some toxicity there. Totally. Um, yeah. That whatever you feel is not necessarily right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. because you're attracted to somebody or you want to do something doesn't mean that's a good choice. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you need to react on that basis. Every feeling yeah. that you have isn't legitimate. Every yeah. reaction that you have isn't legitimate. Those kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Somebody says more single time might have been nice. I, don't, I had a lot of single time in my 20s. I feel good about that. Like, I was in some relationships, but I also had like, many years of being single and that was fun and I got really lucky in the sense that um I had some good relationships when I was young which were really helpful um someone's like why did you go to Vietnam like I don't have a particularly strong connection to Australia or a family there um so making like strong connections with people like in relationships or even over here. I actually got married over here. <laughs> I'm still in the process of undoing that. Oh, I didn't um, know that. From back when I was like 25, I think. Oh, really? Um, you're still, yeah. like, you're still not fully divorced yet? No. Oh, um, such a he's, he's process, got, eh? Yeah. Like, he's going to do the paperwork now, he reckons. Um, but, like, I loved his family. They were lit. Um I like, I, I enjoyed the, the relationships that I had throughout that time. Cause I learned a lot. Um, you know, like I don't regret any of those. I um, learned a lot about what kinds of men I shouldn't be in relationships with. I chose a lot of safe. You remember what we were talking about? Like I chose safe relationships in my twenties, which is unusual. Most people don't do that, but like I didn't have strong connections with my family so I chose people that could like replicate a family dynamic which was a bit boring but it was really safe mm-hmm. um and so that helped Probably me healthier yeah 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 um but I wish I would have delayed having kids yeah that's interesting I bet I mean I haven't had kids yet either um I found out that I still have a lot of uh eggs okay uh, recently Did you go and get tested for eggs 
<laughs> I mean, I've just been having like gynecological issues, which in Australia they dealt with terribly. And over here, they're actually much more thorough. And like I've had a, a several ultrasounds and they're like, yeah, you're super healthy. You've still got heaps of follicles and eggs and all that. I'm, I'm surprised. Like I'm 33 this year. So is not old. I mean, everyone that I know started having kids like 30 or later. Like I know people who just started having kids like, you know, last year. Like that's yeah. not, that's not old for kids anymore. Yeah. Yeah, in their late thirties. I, I think they say that generally, like, there's a kind of shift around mid thirties where, like, I, yeah, there, it is. It is harder, but it's yeah. yeah. But I mean, most people that I know, I mean, women are having kids later. Yeah. Um, regretting that. Uh, somebody says, uh, "What are your favorite conspiracy theories?" Ooh. Um, I, I had an interesting one about Corona, which was around, um, you know, Iran has a massive rate of coronavirus. And so people are saying, like, did America have something to do with, um, <laughs> with getting, uh, creating a spike in coronavirus in Iran? That's an interesting one. Okay. I guess that doesn't surprise me too much. <laughs> <laughs> what are you like? What what conspiracy theories? Do well, you like? I have a conspiracy theory that I like, but it's not a conspiracy theory. It's actually real, so I don't know if it counts. But it's that Area Fifty One. They're legit. They're legitimately keeping UFOs and aliens there and doing tests on them. And the U.S. government really is hiding all that they know about aliens, and they definitely know that there's aliens. What happened with the storm Area 51 thing? Nothing. Maybe you can't get in. It won't let you in because yeah. there's aliens there. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> that would be really cool. Like, that would be super cool. I mean, obviously there's aliens. There's no way that there are not aliens. Does anybody actually believe there's no such thing as life on other planets and that UFOs haven't visited Earth? Like, U.S. Navy pilots have seen UFOs, and they had, like, congressional, yeah, like, briefings on them. Yeah, 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 the Tic Tac videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Megan, you don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> um, also, I believe in ghosts. Do you? Okay, so my opinion about ghosts is complicated and irrational. I am afraid of ghosts, but it doesn't make rational sense to me that ghosts would exist. Because if ghosts existed, then ghosts would be everywhere all the time because there would be billions and billions and billions of ghosts because so many people have died. Like, where are all the ghosts? I think you have a misunderstanding about how the spiritual world operates. Oh, okay, good. Tell me about (laughs) it. Because this is my, because I do kind of believe in ghosts, but then that aspect doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so, um, uh, okay, I have a couple of experiences. One is with like a really old hotel that I used to work at back in Perth, which is where I grew up, where apparently there are a lot of ghosts. A lot of people saw them. I saw a couple weird things, um, but I didn't have like there. Were, I didn't have any way of understanding it. Any anyway, I've spent quite a bit of time in Bali, and I have a few Balinese friends there, and that's a country that uh, they're they're 
have much more connection to what you would call the spiritual world. Um, that's a, you know, like funerals go for like three days and there's chanting and it's about uh, releasing the spirit into the spiritual world so that they don't get trapped here. And there's a lot of stuff around that. And that's where I had weird experiences um, out in the like regional remote areas of Bali. Um, I went with a friend once and she had an experience where she was like, a child just hugged me and I was like, what? And she's like, I'm not kidding. Like literally a child just hugged me. Um, and so then I started asking my like Balinese friends about this stuff and they were like, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Like that, that stuff happens all the time. Um, I had an experience of someone like sitting on my bed when we were there and I like, like thought it was someone and I like sat up and there was no one there. But I, I also heard a cat, which was really weird because there was no cats living there. And then, like, the, a day later, a cat just kind of came wandering through. So, again, I asked my Balinese friend. They're like, yeah, no, that would be, like, the spirit of, like, somebody coming to visit you. Like, that's normal. That's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> Like, there's just, I mean, so that, I mean, I think that's like a healthier attitude towards ghosts than denying that ghosts exist at all, which is what we do often in our culture. Mm-hmm. Whereas, obviously, in other cultures, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, there's like spirits around. Like, mm-hmm. duh. Um, and, and so, to your point about wouldn't they be everywhere? Um, so, as I understand it, um, the, the, the view is more like spirits. Um, spirits congregate in a sense so like in spiritual places like in bali for example in temples um that's where the spirits are so that's why you need to have like ritual around visiting temples that's why you need to take offerings that's why you like dress differently that's why you say prayers because it's about um protecting the spiritual realm there so that you don't like muddy it with our like worldly um, perspectives, if that makes sense. I mean, to me, it just makes no sense. Like I know so many people who like grew up in haunted houses where there'd be a boy that lived there and everybody in the house knew who the boy was and they saw the same boy or like my mom worked when I was a kid at the Burnaby art center, which is like um, it's, a bu- there's a bunch of really really old mansions up there in that area it was a place where people would go and take like art classes and dance classes and things like that but there was also a bunch of really really old mansions and there's tons and tons of ghost stories around there and they were ghost stories because people would see like the same woman in the window or they yes. would hear the same ruffled dress or like, it would be you know the same stories and the sa- like it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me that people would be seeing these same ghosts in these same places and it's yeah. happening in so many different places and yet goes like everybody can't just be crazy and imagining the same thing. No. That's, that's not fundamental. That's fundamentally not possible, but it does challenge, challenge our, um, you know, like there's ghost hunters and all that stuff. Cause like we want proof. We want proof. Like yeah. <laughs> some things you can't catch on camera. 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah, we want proof, but like, I don't know. I mean, some things you just can't prove. Like, and you don't have to, I'm not demanding that anyone else accept that ghosts exist. Um, I'm not imposing my ghost belief on other people. I'm just saying (laughs) that I think that there are ghosts and I'm scared of them. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a teenager, I went through this period of having sleep paralysis. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for like a couple of years. So you wake up in the middle of the night and you're frozen and you can't move your pin down and there's a figure in your room and sometimes the figure will be on you and sometimes the figure will be like choking you. Is that, I've read about this online. It's happened to lots of other people. Uh, That hasn't happened to me. And it was, and I just kind of decided that my room in that house at my parents' house in the co-op was haunted. And I was like, oh, I just have to deal with these like horrible nightmares that I can't escape or do anything about. And eventually it just went away. So it was more nightmares. It wasn't an actual. But your eyes are open. You're like awake, or it feels like you're awake. Yeah, and it's like a it's a global phenomenon. But could you just be lucid dreaming? Maybe. But any whatever it feels like. I mean, how do you know? Like it feels like you're awake and your eyes are open, but you're just like paralyzed. And then there's some like creepy, gray, shadowy figure at the end of your bed. And sometimes no. on you. Yeah. I think some of the really interesting stories too come from uh, people who work in nursing homes and hospitals. And they're like, we saw the person leaving when they died. I'm like, what? Oh, my God. Have you read those? No. You need to. I have a book about ghosts that I haven't looked at yet. I mean, I'm actually really scared of ghosts and I'm worried if I, like I had, I was listening to a ghost podcast for a while and I had to stop listening to it because it was scaring me too. Because it freaked you out? When I was yeah. watching The Walking Dead, I got so scared of zombies that I couldn't sleep. I would have to leave the lights on at night and I would be up until 6am because I'd be too scared to go to sleep because really? I was legitimately scared. Yeah, I'm very sensitive. Oh, I'm not scared of stuff like that. I'm just scared of like flying and water and like things you're scared of water (laughs) yeah flying and water (laughs) any large body of water walls (laughs) (laughs) i have regular nightmares about planes crashing which is crazy because i like move around all the time but every time i'm gonna fly i start dreaming about like playing and now i dream about dreaming about planes crashing weird like in my dream i'll be like yeah i had a dream that this would happen and now it's happening it's like meta it's it's like that fucking movie what is it you know when you have like levels of dreams and then you get to level four and you can't go any deeper no i don't know what movie Inception. inception oh okay i haven't seen it that's why so you're so do you not swim uh yeah I do but I do get a bit scared when it's like I can't touch the bottom or like even if it's like a big pool I mean I get a bit scared about that too and I'm like a swimmer like I swim I've always swam I'm scared I get scared when I'm in a plane too and I'm in planes all the time I mean I'm a lot less nervous than I used to be and I kind of just like shut it out of my brain but every time we take off I'm like scared we're going to crash. Mm. Which, I, is, yeah. which I was talking to a pilot, actually, a female pilot, which was cool. Mm-hmm. When I was in Mexico and she was saying that's like not when you crash, like it's not the takeoff. 
Oh no, it was, really? it was the takeoff. What she was saying was that it wasn't about turbulence. Sorry, I, that was a big lie. It is about okay. the takeoff and the landing. But I was like, because whenever the turbulence happens, I also think that we're going to die. And I was like, okay, so turbulence, like we're going to crash. And she's like, no, 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 no. Turbulence doesn't mean that at all. It's a takeoff and the landing. And it's like when something unexpected happens or when something goes wrong. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. So I guess it's bad. legitimate that I'm scared when I, I'm taking off. Yeah. Sorry for that I just feel like it's not, I'm, I'm like, bourbon. this isn't going to lift up. There's not. It doesn't make any sense. No. I made her explain the whole pros. I was like, this does not make sense that this huge heavy metal object just, could fly in the air. Like the, and she explained it all to me and I still am like, mm-hmm, I okay. like, regularly in my plane crash related dreams, it's the thing of, the plane can't take off. Like the most recent one I had, the pilots were like, oh, we're, we're over, we've overloaded the plane. We're going to have to like go downhill and like jump off a cliff to make the plane fly. That's how my brain obviously thinks about how impossible it is for a fucking t- thing that weighs hundreds of tons to just. Because there's like itself. wings, like. Yes. Big, heavy metal wings. Yes. No, it makes no sense. Okay, the other question, there is, a, what are your zodiac signs question? And I actually noticed in the comment section that somebody was asking, I can't, I'm not, they are, we're either asking what we think about astrology or they were just outright stating that astrology is total bullshit. <laughs> that was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, so these are all the irrational views that I hold is that I do think that astrology is bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. But at the time I am very much a Libra. Oh, you, I'm a Libra as well. Oh, you are. Oh, that's why we yeah. get along. I love other Libras. Libras really like each other. I've dated Libras like several oh, times. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never looked at the star sign of anyone I'm dating. Maybe that oh, was... Oh, I the- always do, and I get obsessed. I, like, start, like, obsessing over, like, Instagram memes about whoever it is that I'm dating, and I'm like, oh, my God, and start really? trying to be like... Yeah, it's nuts. I only just asked my boyfriend, who, who we've been together for, like, a few years, like, yesterday, what is that? No. Oh, I'm, like, on it as soon as I, I'm into somebody. See, I think that could really be What is he? He's Leo. Oh, okay. I've dated what a does Leo that mean? before. I don't. I don't know enough about it to say. I only. I know a lot about me, and I think it's all about narcissism. Like, I think that astrology <laughs> is all about narcissism. You're like, I just want to talk about me and what I'm like and my personality. Like, <laughs> we're all a little bit narcissistic, so we're drawn to that. See, Libras are meant to be balanced. Isn't that the whole kind of concept of being a Libra? Yeah, we're kind of even, like, we care a lot about justice, but also we're flirtatious and beautiful and very charming and everybody likes us. Mm. Is, there, is that not true? That's <laughs> personally true. <laughs> like, when, when I socialize, I can be very sociable. Um that doesn't they're good mean- at getting along with people and like getting yeah. they care a lot about people liking them, but they're also good at getting people to like them. Mm, okay. Okay. I, I like this the they're idea. Very decisive also. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't make decisions. That's how I make them. I just don't I just don't do it. I just and stress then- out about decisions forever. I have a really hard time <laughs> making decisions. I 
feel like if you just don't make a decision, it'll get made for you. And then I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's what the world wanted. That's I'll pretty passive, that. Laura. It is. It's incredibly passive. I mean, I've been very decisive about my career and like I need to set myself up for like financial security and like made decisions about that. But then after that, I was like, fucking Jesus, take the wheel. I'm done. Like <laughs> I don't care anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm, not Jesus, take the wheel as in like, literally I, I, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> your secret shame and i believe in god <laughs> well no like i um i really like kanye west's music and his I most recent album is a gospel album so good and it's so good his last album was so good too and i was Pop like and i wasn't album. always a, a, a kanye fan like i was early on like i like college dropout and then there was a whole series of albums that there was like good singles. So there'd be like two, maybe three tracks top that I liked, but I didn't enjoy the albums at all. And even some not albums like that I didn't the, like at all. Um, the Black Skinhead album. A lot of people didn't like that no, one. I didn't like it. And then, yeah. so I just gave like up that. on him. And also he's so crazy and weird that I just yeah. fully kind of wrote him off. And yeah. then his last album is excellent. And then the gospel album is incredible. Oh my god, it's amazing! My boyfriend's really concerned that I'm going to become a Christian because of this album that I'm just like playing on repeat. I mean, I support you no matter what you decide. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, like the more I I would still respect you, and I'm not joking. I would. That I like. There's no possibility of me believing in a god, um, but. You know, the more I read, like, left-wing conspiracy theories and, like, hardcore activists who are just doing the most horrific things, I'm like, I can appreciate why people are returning to Christian values in the face of some of the bullshit that we're seeing from the progressive atheist world. Even yeah. though I'm an atheist. Yeah. I- I, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, I feel like, A, it makes a lot of sense that people would be drawn to religion because people want there to be meaning in life and they want community. Yeah. And that's, you know, more than I can say for leftists whose religion is just hating each other and <laughs> political purity. <laughs> but under the guise of being kind, I think that's one of the most interesting I mean, things. having no morals is our new religion. Like, liberals on the left pride themselves on not having morals. Like, it's like, stop being moralistic. It's like, wait, what? We're not supposed to have morals anymore? Like, I'm going to go yeah. with the Christians then. Because at least the thing they're I trying think- to be good. At least there's a belief system that is about being a good person and contributing to the world. Well, I, I appreciate and understand. That, yeah, no. I appreciate and understand that, like, a lot of progressive and kind of postmodern politics have gone down this social constructivist path of, you know, we can never know reality. And I see spiritual people doing this too. We can never really know the true nature of reality. You know, empiricism is, is a myth, um, positivist science is a myth. And, and, and it's all uh, patriarchal and racist and capitalist. And so let's, let's deconstruct all of it. We can never know anything. There's no such thing as morals. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Everything is constructed. There's no good Nothing. or bad. And it's like, 
Christ, you've really gone off the deep end here with this. Like I, there was a value to so-called social constructivism. It had a purpose. Um, it brought qualitative research onto the map. And now it's just like fucked. <laughs> it's fucked our political system because we've got like supposedly progressive politicians being like, oh, women are people who feel feminine. Like that's been the end result of social Well, I mean, transgenderism and trans activism is clearly a religion. It's like yeah. a belief system that's completely irrational and it demands that they're you know, the members of the cult have to accept these mantras and these beliefs unquestioningly. And if they don't, they're kicked out and ostracized. Yeah, in a harsh way, probably more harsh than any other religious movements. I'm, Fired I from mean, their jobs, ousted from their communities, their political parties. Like, where else do you see that aside from in highly authoritarian religious states? Right, exactly. Um, and to get back to astrology, I just wanted to quickly mention that Virgos are the worst. So Virgos out there. They're highly emotional. Is that the thing? They're super judgmental. They're super neurotic. Um, they're super cold. Mm. Um, and they're over-rational and under-emotional. Oh, I thought they were. Okay. We'll see. I don't really know much about. I know that for a specific reason, but I don't I don't know everything about all the signs. Like I said, I only pay attention to the ones that I date. Yeah. See, it's tricky for me because I spent many years working in um, like psychometric and personality testing. So um, so when you start talking about personality traits, I'm like, "Mm, like, is that statistically significant or are you just generalizing? I mean, probably not. It would be interesting. I it's like, I guess it's that. a way of analyzing people's personality and analyzing the world, but it's not, it doesn't make any sense and it's not scientifically sound. It's a bit like the MBTI or the Enneagram for people who know those. Like they're not really empirically sound, but they do kind of give you a way of categorizing people's behaviors. Yeah, people love categories. Yeah, it makes life easier, you know. You, you don't want to make too many assumptions about people, but sometimes you have to. Like, that's what our brains do. It's not because we're assholes. It's just that's how we're wired. We to just make sure want to that. understand the world. Um, mm. Okay, let's do one more question, and then we should probably cut this off at some point because we could yeah. just go on forever. <laughs> we're just going to get drunk and become, yeah. I know, okay. I'm just getting drunker, and, like, we're just going to get drunk and talk about <laughs> ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> you guys all glad you tuned in for this. Turns for the out we're in everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had a nice time. Okay, yeah. final question that somebody asked on Twitter: Nice chest or nice butt on a man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, chest, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't care about a butt, and I actually don't. I care about shoulders and height. Yeah. More than a chest, but a chest is part of the shoulders kind of in here, but like a Yeah. A this is gonna sound um this is gonna sound judgmental, but you know, I I really struggle to be attracted to men who are like 
the same size as me. So you weren't into Mark from Love is Blind then, huh? That would not happen. But some a friend of mine told me um, that she thought Mark was the hottest one on that show. Neck. Why? Somebody just said neck. First she said chest and then she said neck. Your Indian neck, like, neck. Like a muscular neck? Or I mean you wouldn't want like a weak neck, but I don't I've never really thought about a neck. In terms of boob or butt, oh, the nice. answer is size. <laughs> okay. Thick thighs. I mean it is like a whole package. You wouldn't just want really great thighs and then really weak shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> and a feminine neck. Like fitness is attractive, right? People that look, and that's like not just us being judgmental. Like we are more attracted to people who look healthy. (laughs) (laughs) We are judgmental. (laughs) No, it's like, it's like you want, yeah, it is about fitness and somebody being strong and, you know, yeah, good shape. I mean, I've never been in good shape before. I used to date a lot of athletes, like when I was young. I always date basketball players. So I would date really <laughs> tall, very athletic. I was into jocks. And yeah. I, like, didn't exercise until I was, you know, 33. <laughs> wow. I had a fast metabolism when I was younger. But I did not do any exercise and ate, like, pizza pops for, yeah. you know, the 20 to 30 kind of thing. But I was always dating these, like, really, like, in shape athletic men. Yeah. They never really seemed to mind that I wasn't in good shape or healthy in any way whatsoever. No, but I think the climate's changed now, right? Like the expectations on women is quite different. That they be athletic or healthy? Yeah, like this whole new movement. They're supposed to be skinny. Aren't they Mm. just supposed to look anorexic? No, I think no. I think the world's a different place now. Like the um, the whole thing now is not about being sexy as being skinny but like being they're calling it strong is sexy but what they mean the big butt thing right yeah it's got something to do with women having like muscular toned asses um which has led women to doing weightlifting and stuff which is great yeah Um, me and my partner were debating this like if women are drawn into doing fitness to look good do what what outweighs the other do the health benefits outweigh the mental harm done by self-objectification or it depends because if it's just a trend like weightlifting really is really good for women yeah again i started doing weightlifting um Mostly just because I needed to do some exercise and because I like it. Like, and I, I've, all, I've always liked having, like, strong arms. And I right. also know it's good for me. And women are, are, like, it's good for your bones. So it's a good way yeah. to avoid getting osteoporosis when you're older. Um, but, of course, I also care about losing weight and being in shape. Okay. Um, I mean, I, so, uh, yeah, it is beneficial for women. But not if it's just a trend that's going to switch to some other trend later and you're right that it's like it's like a trend for women to have big butts mostly because of like kim kardashian yeah maybe like beyonce which is funny because it's always been a thing in like the latina world as far as i understand it yeah yeah competitions around how big your butt can be but um 
Yeah, it's driven a lot of women into the gym who probably wouldn't otherwise be there. I think it might have – it's tricky because on the one hand I can see women who um, in like the previous decade would have been seen as overweight and too big who are just actually regular-sized people. Um, I think in some ways they're more accepting of their body size because being curvy is uh, encouraged – but it's sexualized. So are you accepting of your body or are you just sexualizing your body? Well, and I think it's still about proportions. So it's not just like now it's okay to be bigger. Like it's just okay to be bigger if you have a specific shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yes. you're still supposed to have a small waist and a big butt. Yeah. Like big Which thighs and legs are okay. And big butts are okay, but you still have to have, like, the right proportions. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think it is good that women are getting into weightlifting and that being strong is, like, a value for women as opposed to just being super thin. That's still a trend, though. Like, there's still tons and tons of women who are just insanely thin and just, like, super frail and unhealthy and shitty and, like older than they actually are because being like really, really thin and unhealthy in that particular way, like you tend to age badly, but. Well, that was trendy for a long time. Yeah. And I'm glad it's not anymore, but yeah. Okay. Is there anything that we need to talk about before we go? Like what <laughs> the ghost stories. was that? <laughs> <laughs> I love ghost stories. I mean, I, I got really scared of ghost stories, but I also enjoy them on a certain level. Yeah, we should do ghost stories regularly. Oh, okay. And we did want to tell everybody we're going to be doing live streams regularly now that everyone's under quarantine just so that we have an opportunity to socialize and hang out and chat for a bit. And hopefully more people will come and chat in the comments. So we'll do them every week. And Um, guests that people want to see on, recommend them. Yeah, ask us your questions (laughs) if you have. Should we have like some debates maybe? Uh, like I'm interested in we should debate. have a millennial versus Gen X debate right okay I'm interested in that I mean we all know I'm, better but I'm interested in debating like I think I thought of this ages ago like should we debate like who's doing more harm to the world like social justice warriors um uh MLM p- pyramid scheme sellers um <laughs> Instagram models like I just <laughs> we should have a conversation about all the like therapy Instagrammers which I'm kind yeah. of like I'm really into like I really like some of them but a lot of them I... are so bad and this like new trend of trying to like make a career and a living off of posting like self-help quotes on right. Instagram is and yeah and, like, I therapizing yeah. from the internet that and and the thing Almost about like, Isabel Laura's boyfriend says your yeah, boyfriend. That's my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, people sharing stories of trauma. Uh, that's really bothering me um, because I think there's you know, and I'm a psychologist, so there's reasons why that concerns me. Aside just from the fact that are we potentially glamorizing trauma? I just think there's so much misunderstanding I posted something the other day like an account with millions of followers was like oh trauma is 
also when your parents don't listen to you. Like, are you kidding me? Right, right. Um, so I wanted to write about that in terms of like, it's interesting because we only developed conceptions of trauma after the wars, like when returning veterans had, we called it shell shock and some other things. And I was like, that's really interesting because, you know, America's has this long history of slavery and they never really developed any conceptions of trauma related to slavery until quite recently. Um, I think there was something quite comprehensive written on the trauma associated with slavery in 2005. And now we've got these like middle class wellness influences being like, oh, my parents didn't listen to me once when I was nine. So I have trauma. Like, Why would you listen to a nine-year-old? God. <laughs> oh, this is the other thing that we should. I mean, I obviously hate the youth. <laughs> I mean, I've written several pieces now about how we should not listen to children, and people have gotten very angry at me. But so we could, yeah. yeah, we got to talk about the difference Whether between validating are valid human beings. Well, you can validate people's feelings without integrating their completely incorrect conceptions about the world into our way of living yeah you know what i mean so i think that's a whole thing okay so everybody send in your debate suggestions uh mm. you can send them to us on instagram the same drugs instagram on twitter uh patreon and yeah. also our handle now is <laughs> sorry reading the comments again i'll just write the handle in the comments because it's the same for okay. instagram or twitter um versus <laughs> mushrooms <laughs> we should do another really <laughs> i don't know it's really i think that's like a, a really funny debate suggestion <laughs> Yeah, we should do an episode on trauma, actually. Um, uh, mushrooms, they're, they're, aren't they legal in Canada? Maybe no, you I'm should not back mushrooms. on Twitter. It, we have, there's the same drugs on Twitter. Sorry, somebody just asked. What's legal in Canada? Mushrooms. Uh, aren't they legal everywhere? I didn't know that mushrooms were wait we're talking about like what like tricky yeah no no i know but like i mean well i have no idea i always assumed that they were legal because everybody does mushrooms but i actually have no idea no they're not but they're legal in canada now so maybe you should um i don't really like doing mushrooms so it's not an issue for me you do no i don't oh okay i don't like things that make me hallucinate or like feel weird Mm. I like to be in control of my partying. Wow, you sound boring. I'm not boring. I'm really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anybody. <laughs> I like to party. I just like to be in control of my partying. Yeah, okay. When I get like too. I think we should definitely get high one time though. That would be fun. Oh God, no. Oh, they're not legal in Canada. Am I allowed to choose the type of high? Yeah, you can choose. Okay, take some Ritalin or something. (laughs) Someone said we talked about we missed the ghost dinosaurs. Yeah, we should talk. Okay, let's talk more about ghosts, trauma, ghosts, and uh, getting high. Cats versus mushrooms. Okay, um, thanks everybody (laughs) for tuning in. Is there anything that we're supposed to say? 
We'll be back next week. We'll try to let you know yeah. ahead of time. Are we going to come back next Thursday? What are your travel plans? When do you guys Yeah, see? well, I'll be in New Zealand, so I'll be uh, available. And um, But we can also do some more of your personal dating life we stories can, uh, on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, you have to sign up for Patreon for that. See how I weaseled my way out of that? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not dating right now. I'm in quarantine. <laughs> Nobody's but dating. There's still something to talk about. No way. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Sign up on Patreon. Just five bucks a month to hear all of my personal dating stories. <laughs> They're actually pretty interesting. Thank you. For people that want to talk about attachment styles and all that shit, I think there's, you know. Yeah, I think all that stuff is interesting too. We can get into that. <clears throat> okay, everyone. Thanks all for right. tuning in. I hope that you're all doing okay. Yeah. Hang in um, there. We'll see you next week. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.